Hello, this is Nation Han. Welcome to another edition of the Awake 58 podcast. This week, we are catching up with Dr. Lisa Chapman, president of Central Carolina Community College. Dr. Chapman began her academic career at Central Carolina before rising to a leadership role at the system office in Raleigh. She recently returned home to helm the college. During the course of our conversation, she shares what it feels like to go home again, what drew her back to Central Carolina, what reforms might be needed on transfers, why budget stabilization is essential for community colleges across the state, and more. Dr. Chapman, we really appreciate you taking time. Oh, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to spend time with my friend. Great, great. Well, we're going to just jump in. Uh, so for those of you for those of you listening who do not know uh, Dr. Chapman's story, she began her career um, in community colleges at Central Carolina, came to the system office, and then returned uh, back to Central Carolina. So our first question is really, uh, let's focus on this homecoming. So Thomas Wolfe uh, said, we can't go home again, but you seem to be enjoying it. Uh, what drew you home initially, and, and what can you tell us so far about your time? So um, if, if I were breaking it down a little bit, I would say certainly the college family. We talk a lot about family here, and, um, and I'm talking about all of our employees when I talk about the family. The family, the communities we serve, the students. Um, so the short answer is the people. The people drew me home. Our employees um, care so much about how we work to support the service to the students. And I knew it when I was here. I watched it while I was in Raleigh and I, I couldn't have been more proud of them while I was working in Raleigh, serving 58, um, sharing the great work of 58, but always keeping an eye on, on, on one college that had a special place in my heart. And then um, I have to say too, when I talk about the people, uh, I, I can't overlook the board that I am very blessed to serve with because this this board, so it's, it's made up of folks who represent Lee, Chatham, and Harnett counties. And um, I've watched this board when I was executive VP here. I've, I've watched the board some when I was at system office. And I learned a lot about boards while I was in Raleigh. And this board always focuses on supporting the college service to students and community. So um, I can't leave the board out when I talk about the importance of, of people. And, and you know, um, the communities I mentioned, they believe in the opportunity this college affords folks. And, um, and they really put action to support that belief. And then I'll say again that, um, the students who continue to amaze me every day. There, I, I loved my time serving at the system office, and I was so fortunate to learn a lot. And I would, I would say that that's another reason um, I was interested in coming back. I felt like I had an opportunity to learn some things at the system level that I could bring back and help us to continue the good work that we're doing here. Uh, I would also say. You know, I never left this community. I commuted to Raleigh. So I could see every day 
the impact the college was having. And it is great to serve in Raleigh, but there is absolutely nothing like being with your college in the community. So it was it was a great opportunity. There were a lot of good things potentially happen, happening in the communities. I knew the college was going to be a part of it. I felt like I could bring some things that I had learned and, um, and I could enjoy uh, spending time seeing the impact up close and personal. And um, I have not been disappointed. Well, one of the things that you didn't plan for upon return was a pandemic influencing much of your early tenure at the college. So for those who read Awake 58 or those who pay attention to Edency or those who are paying attention to the legislative priorities for the system, a lot of the conversations around budget stabilization, given the way that the colleges are funded individually. So could you give us a little bit of a perspective on let's say the General Assembly does not take up budget stabilization or does not fully fund budget stabilization, what the impacts might look like for your institution? So our enrollment is down. Our, um, quite frankly, we had a record enrollment the uh, first fall I came back. And I do tell people when asked or, or when asked or when I'm describing my time here in my return, I don't talk about being back two years. I talk about being back a year in a pandemic because that is very different than being back two years. It has impacted our communities um, and our college. So, so our enrollment is down from last year. And when your enrollment is down, um, and, and one of my biggest concerns about that, because we disaggregate the data a lot, is that it is the students that should have been persisting with us actually have continued at, at pretty much the same percentage that they did pre-pandemic. So, um, so our students have maintained what they needed to and, and our folks have supported those students to help them continue so they come through us to wherever they're going. But our enrollment is down in all categories, particularly because we have not connected with as many new students. So there are people in our communities that need us that have not engaged with us. And I will tell you that um, we can see an, an increasing equity gap in that group. And, um, and you all have, have talked a lot about how the pandemic has impacted um, our, our individuals that um, have not had the same level of resources. So, Enrollment is down. What does that mean in terms of dollars? To Central Carolina, it means two and a half million dollars. Um, that's that's a chunk of change, and uh, and so it is critical for us to have that budget stabilization because the expectation is that those students that are out there, potential students that are out there that have not engaged yet with their college are going to, they need to. There are opportunities available for them. And the way we're funded, um, if, we have, if we don't have that budget stabilization, it is going to be more difficult for us to support those students and serve them. And I say those separately because serving them 
by simply providing classes for them will be hard enough. Supporting them with the extra strategies that are gonna be critical because of the impact of the pandemic will be just as important. And that is going to be a, a, a tremendous challenge if we don't have budget stabilization. So it's gonna to be tough on our community if we don't do it. Two quick follow-up questions to that. I mean, first, what impact did the K-12 districts going mostly remote or I guess a hybrid, and then just the lack of being able to be in-person, I presume things like career fairs or other opportunities to tell the campus's story have an impact? So, um, to, to kind of frame it just a little bit in, in Central Carolina's experience with our, um, our partnership with our, our K-12 area, we, we certainly um, have engaged a lot in, in um, the dual enrollment that is, is so important to, to North Carolina's talent pipeline. And um, quite frankly, such, such a great opportunity for students in North Carolina that not every state has having your college courses in high school with tuition waived, you know, we, we can't forget the importance of that and, and my appreciation to the General Assembly for that kind of support for its communities. So we have our dual enrollment population and then what North Carolina has done um, back since 2012, we designed our dual enrollment to very much be focused on pathways. So opportunities for students to go through a pathway to a career, and that pathway starts in high school, can come through the community college directly to workforce, can come through the community college onto the university, but a great opportunity to get a great return on the investment of those dollars for that tuition being covered. And then add to that, we have career coaches in our high schools and Central Carolina worked very hard starting back in 2014 with some um, external dollars to help support it, to have a career coach in uh, every public high school that we serve. So helping students make decisions about opportunities for career pathways and educational pathways to support that uh, allows for, for um, strengthening of the talent uh, pipeline here in the community. And then the final piece of that in our area that I would, would um, sort of make sure people are aware of is our three counties have invested in their high school students by saying, we believe in you, we're gonna support your education. And they have supported the Central Carolina Promise, which allows students who go through the dual enrollment uh, program successfully to qualify for two years tuition covered um, after high school. So a great opportunity to um, reduce debt or be debt free in, um, after you complete a post-secondary credential. What we have seen, so I mentioned some pieces in there, career coaches, for example, and um, the engagement that is necessary to make informed decisions. We lost that opportunity. You talked about 
the, the college fairs and recruiters engaging, making sure students knew about it, information sessions so students knew what they could take advantage of. All of those had to be done differently. And initially, we missed the chance to do some of those things because of um, the fact that our K-12 partners were, were struggling with, with dealing with the pandemic. So that's the um, kind of the environment that we're working with. And the result has been that this particular year, we had less students participating in dual enrollment. And we have, we have a data dashboard. I'm very fortunate with the, um, the strength of the um, IE team and research team we have here. I can also look at a comparison of students participating in the PROMISE program uh, in 2019 compared to, to fall and uh, uh, fall of 2020. And certainly we had a drop in students participating in the PROMISE program uh, because we, we lost that opportunity in the spring to engage with them and ensure that they were uh, ready and connected. And, uh, and we saw an increase in the equity gap in that, that group specifically as well. So the challenges for K-12 definitely impacted our enrollment as well and our opportunity to serve the community. Just about two weeks ago, I was able to join you and some other presidents for a gathering. Um, and a number of the presidents spoke to uh, potential cuts, whether it be personnel or programmatic that could happen as a result of budget stabilization. Uh, one of the presidents has said, and I've, I've heard this many times, so it's, uh, that you know we're talking about cutting campuses to the bone when there's really not a whole lot of skin or muscle left. Um, what would be the real sort of people impact? I mean, I assume that you all, like all of our rural colleges, run tight and efficient ships already. Um, so does, does that worry you if, if budget stabilization were not to come about? It does. Um, it, and I will say that um, the immediate worry, the most, I think the, the most immediate impact in terms of um, people, which is what you're asking about, would be the opportunity that we have to provide uh, courses in, you know, uh, to provide the delivery where it needs to be um, and in the time that it needs to be. Oftentimes we use um, additional staff to do that. So we would certainly start by um, looking at, at individuals that are not full-time individuals, um, have, have, may have been with us for a long time supporting the college because of their interest in the community. And when we lose that, what's important is, it's important to those individuals. Um, but, but beyond that, if we lose them, um, we are losing an opportunity to serve the students. So it will impact how many students we're able to serve um, in some particular areas. You know, you, you asked about K-12. One of the things that really concerns me is as we look at the way the pandemic has impacted our um, student engagement, um, our adult high school, um, our, what we call our basic skills, 
programs has really been impacted because uh, that student population wasn't um, as able to flip to doing things online or, or, or virtually as, as maybe some of our general education curriculum programming um, students were able to do. And so with those students, we've had some that have been out and now they're going to need us even more. And if we do not have the dollars to support the staff, to support them, um, they're, they're not even gonna get their foundational skills. And I'm expecting there may be some more of those students because our high schools have, um, they, they, you know, I read every day as I read Ed NC and Awake 58, that many of our high school people talk about the students that they just no longer have contact with. They're gonna have to get back in the system somewhere. Oftentimes that's us, right? Given that, uh, would you say that you and your team are optimistic about what the fall would look like with the caveat that obviously that depends on how vaccination rollout continues to happen in, in the pandemic, but it does seem like uh, in speaking to your peers, there may, they believe there may be some pent-up demand around return to the workplace, plus hopefully in-person learning resuming at K-12, giving parent, working parents the ability to, to be back at fuller loads. We are, um, and you heard the hesitation. Um, because the 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 pandemic has the the pandemic influenced economic change has been something none of us has ever experienced before. But I will tell you, we've got some anecdotal information and a little bit of data that suggests to us that um, that we will be seeing a, a little bit of a, a return to. Um, uh, people engaging uh, in the ways that they were were doing in the past. Uh, and I will tell you that uh, the Sanford Herald ran an article earlier this week, and I believe that um, the um, individuals that they interviewed uh, were advising core. Um, uh, uh, coaches based in, in our Lee County schools, and um, they have, they both indicated, there were, there were two individuals interviewed and they both indicated that they felt like more students would be coming actually through us um, first than might have originally chosen um, uh, that to, to, to take that pathway. Um, individuals that would have selected maybe going directly to the university because they, they, it, it's just so hard yet for people to believe, okay, we are really ready to go, and back isn't even a phrase anymore, right? To get to what the new normal is, they're not entirely certain what that, what that new normal will be. And, and they're recognizing um, the cost of the educational experience and how they need to be uh, responsible about that. So, so one, we're hearing a little bit anecdotally that some students may uh, do what we thought they were going to do at the beginning of this fall, and that and that didn't really um, pan out the way we anticipated. In addition to that, um, uh, we are seeing uh, some some preliminary data uh, in um, particularly in Harnett County where we do a little uh, early interest gathering with uh, our potential promised students that I mentioned, the students that complete their dual enrollment pathway and then move on to 
the uh, community college for their tuition waived for two years. We actually are seeing about six times the number of students interested um, enough to make the contact and, and um, complete some uh, processes with us six times the interest this fall than we saw last fall. So uh, that tells us again too, going back to the budget stabilization and how we're funded, we can potentially have those students that we didn't have before and we need the budget stabilization to ensure we can serve them. Mm -hmm. Looking out, I mean, you know, one thing that happened this year uh, was the governor's investment uh, in gear funding for workforce development. Uh, it sort of ties back around to a national conversation that's been happening around should Pell grants be expanded to short-term workforce students. Given the importance of short-term workforce and customized training as part of the economic recovery coming out of COVID, but also given its importance as we talk about stackable credentials for working adults, you know, what's your prism on, on that particular piece of the, the pie? So, uh, you know, I, I was very fortunate to come back to Central Carolina at a time when uh, we had some great business and industry interest in this community. And in fact, um, there are a number of very good jobs coming to uh, Lee County and and um, and the surrounding counties. Lee County has, has certainly been one that's had some some great great wins in the last few years. So a number of great jobs coming. Uh, as you know, workforce is always a part of the conversations that you have with those businesses and industries. When they come. And so I had the opportunity to be in a lot of those conversations to understand what the business and industry needed. And, and you know, we've never closed during the pandemic. Um, we have pivoted a lot of our services, um, but I I certainly have had the opportunity to look out at the parking lot every every single day since we made some changes. We also have continued to engage with the business and industries, uh, our partners, because they are, they are building their facilities and they're expanding their facilities and they're, they're preparing for great jobs that will be coming. We talk a lot about family sustaining wages and economic mobility. In fact, I talked a lot about that when I first said I was coming home because I do believe that, that our North Carolina community colleges are the way for us to help with the economic mobility that is essential for our economic success, sustained success in North Carolina. So as we have more and more conversations with those businesses and industries, you know, part of what they tell us is we need to be able to educate, train, retrain, work with folks where while we've had great growth here in jobs, we've also had some companies that have pivoted and have downsized. And so we've got employees that need upskilling or reskilling and retraining. We've got to be as nimble and flexible as we've always said we were and 
we have to make sure that the quality and standard of, of the education and, and training that our students get is exactly what it needs to be. They've got to master the competencies. So our commitment is instruction is instruction is instruction. How we deliver it varies, but the quality of what we deliver does not. And we are working hard to ensure that. And our companies expect that. Our students need to be able to afford that. <laughs> so gear is critical for that. And we're very appreciative. Those dollars have been very, very important, particularly in some of the um, high need job areas to help students quickly get some upskilling so that they can go into that um, employment. And then, you know, they may during their career pathway be able to get more and more education and training along the way to continue to, to, um, to, to get, as Dallas Herring says, from wherever they started to wherever they, they want to go. I can't have a conversation without saying that, right? Um, so I think there's actually probably like a secret handshake that all new community <laughs> college employees have to learn that goes along with that motto. <laughs> I, I think you're probably right. Um, so the gear funding is critical for us right now. And long term, we've got to do that Pell expansion. The quality is there. The standards are there. Um, and, and we hear everywhere people talk about we need to be able to be nimble and flexible. Got to support the students so that they can take advantage of it. Thank you for answering that question. Uh, moving along, I mean, let's actually zoom out for the system level question real quick, and then we're going to come back to Central Carolina and then wind down the, the conversation. Um, you know, you have done a lot of work over the years around transfers um, and transfer articulation agreements and, and certainly system level um, work. Given where you sit now and the, the progress of the last couple of years, I mean, are there any things that you hope folks are thinking about on the system level or between the UNC system and the community colleges as it comes to making transfers even more easy, uh, easily, easily available and accessible for students and, and particularly uh, with an equity lens? So uh, I, I do think we've, we've made a lot of progress and, and, um, and I'm not so sure that North Carolina um, always gets the credit. I, 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 all right, nation, I'm biased. I'll, I'll say it up front, but, but I know where we were back in 1997, and, um, and now I'm really dating myself, but that's okay. Um, I can go back further than that, so we'll just leave it there. I know where we were, and I know where we've come. We have a mutual respect among our four-year institutions and our two-year institutions. And we understand the value of a pathway. Again, you heard me talk about students coming through us. I think we all recognize that students don't come to us for anything, right? They're trying to get somewhere and we need to facilitate that process. The, the baccalaureate degree plans, the, um, the, the um, general ed courses, the UGETSI courses that we talk about have been uh, so important. We have seen important advances 
uh, in the just the structure of what we do. And we've seen important advances in partnerships where um, many of our universities are reaching back and saying, look, we'll do dual admission. We will provide scholarships. Uh, we'll, we'll work with you to provide um, academic supports and sort of advising across. Um, there are pockets of that. That needs to be expanded in more of a system-wide approach, I think. And, um, and I think that some of the things that we could can do and have to do to really enhance how we're serving students, especially with the equity lens in mind, is to ensure that we, we continue to focus on what I was talking about just a minute ago with quality instruction and accepting the fact that once students have learned something, we don't need to require them to repeat an exercise to show they've learned it again, and we don't need for them to have to pay for that in time or dollars. And so while we have worked substantially in, in, in facilitating our transfer pathways with our associate in arts and our associate in science and all of the pieces of that and the baccalaureate degree plans, all of which we still need to get better, but great strategies we've employed, we, we have to do a couple of things, I think, on the state level. One, we've got to do much more to recognize um, the value of students coming through our AAS programs and, and their ability to seamlessly transfer. Many of them do transfer. It's not always nearly as seamless as it should be. And we need to get together and make that happen. And both sides need to work on whatever needs to be adjusted to make that happen. Uh, and I also think that, uh, and I know that our UNC system has certainly made some advances in this and I look forward to those advances. But if we're gonna really facilitate transfer for those who, who come through us um, from the very beginning with the intention of transfer, uh, we, we still need some common courses um, in our universities. And, and they're, they, they have, um, agreed that they see that as a need as well. And I look forward to the progress that will be made there. Well, thank you. We're gonna move into the, the rapid fire segment. Uh, just to ask you a couple of questions. One big future forward question and then a couple of fun questions uh, on the get to know you front. Uh, first of all, I mean, just in a, a few seconds and, and we know you could probably spend a lot of time talking about this and thinking as you probably spent a lot of time thinking through it. Um, what do you see as the future for rural community colleges? I mean, we have a, a bunch in this state. Um, what's their role moving forward? I mean, both the small and the mid-sized alike. So our, our state needs our rural community colleges. We'll continue to need them. And um, and I think the, the nation, you and I, uh, if, if folks don't know it, you and I are Carolina fans, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to certainly knows it. <laughs> Uh, we bleed Carolina blue. I, I am a Carolina fan, but I do not believe that Carolina is Chapel Hills College. I will tell you that Central Carolina is Sanford's College. 
Central Carolina is, is Pittsburgh's college, is Lillington's college. Our communities need their college to, to be in the community and serve them as that community needs to be served. And if we're going to have uh, economic mobility and growth throughout North Carolina, not just in select pockets, the, the rural community colleges are going to be a big part of that. So we'll continue to work together and support each other, and we can do a better job of that. And there's some things we'll do regionally, but they must continue. Tell me, I know there must be a long list. What's a what's one moment you're proud of as you've returned? I mean, just sort of like, like an aha moment. I'm so glad I'm back as president of Central Carolina. You know, if you ask me tomorrow, I would have a different one, right? Because uh, you 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 know that there are so many. If if you're here and you're proud of your students um, and you see everything they do, I will tell you that uh, late last spring, uh, we were one of the things that we did. Uh, we we set up a Facebook page just for community college uh, or Central Carolina family folks because we knew everybody was challenged with this different world. And so we kept the Facebook page going just for the, the college family. And on a weekly basis, you know, community colleges have all kinds of experts. One of our experts would do 30 minutes or more, um, might be about cooking, it might be about healthcare, it might be about exercise, skin care, just sharing information, um, the best way to, great new games to play to work with your with your family and your kids. We were sharing our expertise all the way through um, that particular time where, where many folks were, were definitely staying at home. One of those opportunities, our foundation director just sort of shared an update um, because we would do that too from the leadership. And we had, um, we were, our, our pantry, our food pantry, which had, we pivoted to grocery store cards and we'd already given out all the food, was getting low. Um, our Dream Keeper Fund, which is what this college named uh, its fund for um, emergency situations that our foundation supported for students, was getting low. And she was talking about ways that the foundation was working on that. In the middle of that, um, I was, it was Facebook Live. I was just kind of sitting back and watching. One of our employees said, quickly, I can set up a PayPal and a Venmo to start collecting money for it. And I just watched our folks donate to our students. That's all I got. <laughs> That's a great story. Uh, what's one of your, you know, you've driven back and forth between Sanford and Raleigh over the years and certainly traveled the state. Uh, you got one or two favorite restaurants you want to call out for us as, as we continue to travel that we ought to check out? Look, now I would get in trouble if I called out a favorite restaurant in, in any of area that wasn't in our communities. And then if I did any one in our communities, I'd, I'd get in trouble. We have a lot uh, in, San, in, in Lee, Chatham, and Harnett. Um, many of them were supported by our small business. So I'm going to, I'm going to, cheat and be smart and say, um, my husband, my daughter, and my son are outstanding cooks. Wife and mom, not so much, but I can clean up any dish or pot that is necessary if you cook for me. <laughs> 
That is a very good political answer, my friend. You've learned from the candidates who had the mistake of naming their favorite barbecue. So I appreciate that. Uh, any good books on your on your nightstand? So I, I tend to, um, if I'm reading for fun, I, I cheat. I find a book that has a happy ending because I don't want to read something that doesn't like a little action and stuff. But I will tell you um, in in all seriousness, um, and, I, and I think it's important, um, I really am trying to, I, I, I want to make sure that I walk the talk. And I came back to this college talking about economic mobility. In the last uh, year and a half, I've, I've come to understand there's a lot I don't know. <laughs> and there's a lot I have to learn. And there's a lot I have to be willing to do and help other folks in terms of this role. So one of the books I'm reading right now is from Equity Talk to Equity Walk. And um, it's really it's really helping me understand, um, you know, I may have made every effort to treat an individual or a situation equitably within our current practices, but I, I really hadn't thought a lot about how our current, current practices limited my ability. So uh, stay tuned. I hope and anticipate you'll see some great progress here. All right. One final question. I'm a, I'm a beginning golfer uh, and I've gotten a little better at it over the years, but I've, I've been instructed by some of your peers to ask you about your golf game as, as a final uh, parting volley. And then we'll, we'll close this podcast. So I have fallen in love with the game. Um, our, our son wanted my husband and I to learn to play. We never did. And I came back and I thought, hey, I'm a college president. We have foundations. I should learn how to play. Makes my son happy. So, so my friend, my set of clubs is probably cheaper than most people's driver. But I am incredibly happy anytime I get air. <laughs> Same here. Same here. <laughs> well, thank you, my friend, for this conversation. Um, for those of you who are listening, uh, you are very likely listening to this as I step foot on Central Carolina's campus uh, with a, a group of folks from across the state. Uh, so be sure to follow us on Twitter and then look at ednc.org for a story following that visit. But thank you so much for your time, uh, Dr. Chapman. Always a privilege. I appreciate everything you all do. Take care, nation. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Dr. Chapman. For more, including content from an upcoming visit to Central Carolina Community College, check out ednc.org. Thank you for listening. If you have ideas or suggestions for future guests, topics to consider, or stories we ought to cover, give us a shout on Twitter at awake58nc. As always, I'll see you out in the road.